And we are continuing in Acts 12 where we left off last Sunday evening. We finished Acts chapter number 11. And now we're journeying through the book of Acts on Sunday nights verse by verse. And I trust that as we study through this tonight, the Lord will help us to be able to make application of this this evening. I hope it's going to be some helps to us. And can I say this? We'll say this from the very start of the message time tonight. That what we are going to study tonight and what we are going to read from Acts chapter 12 is an encouragement for the local church. All right? That's where we're at tonight, right? We're the local church. So this is an encouragement for the local church. And if you would, please concentrate on the way that God may speak to your heart about this particular subject we're going to deal with tonight. And maybe that God would improve upon this in our lives. Maybe that he would encourage us. Maybe that we, maybe, maybe that, maybe that we can make application tonight. And uh, may we get to a place where we are a church that applies this principle to our lives tonight. I want this to be a help, help to us tonight. So Acts chapter number 12. Now you might remember last Sunday evening as we were finishing Acts chapter number 11. Uh, we cha- the, the passage changed gears a little bit. The narrative changed gears in the middle of chapter number 11. Because in chapter 11, remember uh, Peter was coming back uh, to uh, the city of uh, Jerusalem to be able to share with them the good news of the fact that he had taken a trip to Caesarea He had met Cornelius, he had met Cornelius' family, and those Gentile individuals had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So it was God's way of revealing to to Peter that the gospel is open to all, no matter who. Here's the gospel, they can receive the gospel, so now it's open to the Gentiles. And he was giving that report and had just shared to the Jewish believers how that God had opened that door of ministry to the Gentiles. And then the narrative changed gears in verse number 19. And we talked about how that there was, because of the persecution, uh, the, uh, the followers of Christ had spread to various locations. Well, one of the places they went was Antioch. And when they go to Antioch, they see God work in a great and mighty way. We start to see results. We start to see that there are Greek-speaking Jewish Christians that begin to minister to the Gentiles. And they begin to see souls that are trusting in Christ in the city of Antioch. And so we saw the results of God's people. And then we saw that the local church there in the city of Jerusalem sent a representative. Do you remember that representative they sent, Barnabas? There was one thing he was known for. He was known for being an encourager. And so Barnabas came alongside that church there in Antioch and he encouraged them to continue on. And then you might remember that that was where they were first called Christians. They were given that title, uh, the followers of Jesus Christ, those that were little Christ or imitators of Jesus Christ. They were called Christians first at Antioch. And so we talked about how that Barnabas encouraged them. And then remember, he went and Saul. Remember, Saul had gone to Tarsus uh, in in Damascus and then also in the city of Jerusalem. They, They tried to kill Saul. And so he fled to Tarsus. Well, the Bible tells us that Barnabas goes and gets Saul. He brings him back to Antioch. And he's there a whole entire year with Barnabas. And the church is encouraged. And we left off last Sunday night by talking about how the church in Antioch there, they became willing givers. And there was something that happened that was very unique. Uh, They gladly gave to meet the needs of the Jewish Christians. Now, again, here are the Gentiles who at first they thought the gospel was not even open to. Now Gentiles receive the message there in Antioch and they, are, they become willing givers as a mission field to give to the home church. And so the, the, the home church was able to see the reaping and the rewards of the gospel being spread to the city of Antioch. 
Well, here we get to chapter number 12, and we're going to focus on Peter here in chapter number 12, and we're going to notice several things here in chapter 12 that I hope will be a blessing, I hope will make some application. But the church already, the early church, the, 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 the early church here that we're reading about in the, in the book of Acts, as we talk about church history here, the church has had to already weather great deals of persecution. We're, we're up to chapter number 12, and this is another time in which we're going to see persecution. But persecution has already taken place in the early church many times because of those that were around the apostles and around the followers of Jesus. They are seeing many believing, many coming to trust Christ, and so they're put through persecution because they're believing. Remember, Stephen has even been stoned to death because of spreading the good news of the gospel and all that's been influenced by the work of those who are serving the Lord. And so they've already had to weather a great deal of persecution, but we're going to see more here in chapter number 12. Now, would you keep your place there in Acts chapter number 12? And I'm going to read two verses. One of those verses we heard this morning. Oh, Brother Hummel preached an excellent message this morning on the fact that we are overcomers through Christ. And Jesus in his earthly ministry, he took us to this verse this morning. Jesus in his earthly ministry in John chapter number 16, right before he went to the cross, he made a statement. And Brother Hummel read this this morning, but it goes so well with what we're talking about tonight because we're talking about the, the early church going through times of persecution. Can I say this before I even read John chapter 16 and verse number 33, the same verse he read this morning? Christians are going to face persecution. We have to understand that. In the day we live in, we're going to face persecution. Now, I cannot say, as the pastor of this church, I can't say that our persecution is going to reach anywhere close to what these apostles had to go through and these followers of Christ had to go through in the early church. But I'd say that in our lives and our lifetime of being a Christian, we're going to face persecution. And you say, well, how do you know that's true? Because Jesus said it would happen. And in John chapter 16 and verse number 33, he said these words to his disciples. And again, this is right before he, in chapter 17, has his high priestly intercessory prayer. And then he goes to be on the cross and to die for the sins of the world. He said this, these things have I spoken to you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. So what is Jesus saying right there to his disciples? You're going to have, if you're in this world, you're going to have some tribulation. I mean, you understand as well as I do that we are, we are living in a world that where there's great conflict uh, between what the world's agenda is and what our idea is of what God would have us to do. There's a great conflict there. And there's challenges that might come along with that. And tribulation and persecution may have to go through. But remember the statement Brother Helmel said this morning, I think it goes so well hand in hand with what we're talking about tonight. We're either going to let that persecution overcome us or we will overcome it through Christ. And he says, here's Jesus said at the end of verse number 33, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See, we're serving a God who's already overcome the world. He's, overcome, he's over, already overcome death and hell and sin and the grave and the devil. We already know that we're on the winning side, aren't we? If, we? if we read the book in its entirety, the Bible in its entirety, we know we're on the winning side. We know that Christ has overcome, right? And then the Bible says, if you've got your place there in Acts 12, just stay there. But then the Bible says in 2 Timothy, I'm going to read this to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12. The Bible says these words in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're going to live godly 
and you're going to take a stand on some things, and you're going to live a separated life different from the world, there are going to be times, if you're living godly, where you're going to suffer persecution. Again, I don't know that it'll be to the degree of what these apostles and followers of Christ had to go through, but there are going to be some times where we'll suffer persecution, and there's going to be some times we're going to have to make a choice to take a stand and to say that others around me might not be doing it, and those that are in the world might not be doing it, and my flesh might not want me to do it, and the devil doesn't want me to do it, but God's best for me is that I make that choice, and I'm going to have to take a stand to do the right thing. And so I said all of that because the early church is going to go through another time of persecution here. Just like we've seen already leading up to chapter number 12, they've gone through great persecution, they're going to have to face it again, and can I say this? Again, as Christians, there might be times we're going to have to face persecution, but may we be mindful of what Brother Hummel said to us this morning. Again, goes so well with what we're learning tonight. Either, either we're overcome by it or we're going to overcome it. You think about what is happening here in the local church. The local, the local church is multiplying, isn't it? We, we've, seen God, uh, we've seen revivals that are taking place in Samaria. We read about that in the book of Acts already. We saw about that great revival that took place in the city of Lydda. We saw about the great revival that took place in the city of Joppa. We saw the great revival that took place in the city of Caesarea where Cornelius and his household came to know the Lord. We just read in Acts chapter number 11 about this great revival that takes place in the city of Antioch. And of course in Jerusalem, the early church and how they are multiplying and now they're spreading to places abroad. So the church and those believers are multiplying and so the devil wants to do something to stop the growth of the church. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter number 12. We're seeing the devil's effort to stop the growth of the church and he wants to stop the church from multiplying. And can I say this, just the same way he works in our lives today as well, he wants to discourage you. He wants to discourage you. You get to a place where you say, oh, God's doing some great and mighty things. Well, that's when the devil wants to discourage and that's when the devil wants to hinder. And so that's what we're going to see in the passage of Scripture tonight. The first thing I want us to notice in Acts chapter 12 tonight, I want us to notice, number one, the persecution of the church. We're going to see the, the church persecuted tonight. Notice what happens in verse number 1, if you would. Chapter 12 and verse number 1. It says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Persecution is going to take place in the church here in Acts chapter number 12. Now, we're already noticing, again, as we've read up to chapter number 12, that persecution really is becoming and will become the norm for Christians. Again, it goes back to what we just quoted from the Bible, that these are things that we can expect as Christians. It's going to become a norm for us to go through times of tribulation and persecution. And so it's becoming the norm for the church. But of course, that doesn't make it easier. So they have to still go through these times. They still need God's strength and His presence and His power. So notice verse number one, there's a man that the Bible tells us begins to vex the church. Now, if you remember back to Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7 and then moving into Acts chapter 8 and even the early part of Acts chapter 9, you remember there was a man named Saul who was persecuting the church. And then he was gloriously converted in the beginning there of Acts chapter number 9. But here's this man named Herod. Would you look down there one more time? It says, now about that time, Herod the king. Now, this Herod is the grandson of Herod the Great, that we read about when Jesus was born. You remember, I'm sure, in your mind, going back to the story that we read in the Bible of the birth of the Lord Jesus. And when Jesus was born, there was a Herod that was a king there. And what was he desiring? Remember the Herod that we read about in 
at the time of the, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's trying to murder babies, isn't he? He's trying to take the lives of babies. And the reason why he wants to take the lives of the children that are under is because he wants to try to get to Jesus. If I can just kill this baby that's come that they say is going to be the next king so that he doesn't take over my place. He doesn't take over my king. So this Herod that we read about that's trying to murder babies and the Herod that we read about here in Acts chapter number 12, this is that Herod's grandson. But he is also, this Herod that we read about in Acts chapter 12, is also the nephew of a man named Herod Antipas that we read about in the Gospels that beheaded John the Baptist. So you remember the Herod that took the head of John the Baptist and that head of John the Baptist was placed on a charger and he gave his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, we read that account in the Gospels. And so this is the nephew of that man, Herod Antipas, who had beheaded uh, John the Baptist. Notice what this Herod does. Would you look at verse number one again? Now about that time, Herod the king, now notice these words, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. So he's stretching forth his hands to vex certain of, this church, of, of the church. Here's what the Bible's trying to tell us there in Acts chapter 12 and verse number one, that this Herod has determined to do evil to the church. He is, he is bent on doing evil to the church. He's made a decision in his mind. I'm going to do evil to the church, just like Saul was earlier in the book of Acts, trying to uh, vex certain of the church, trying to destroy the church because it's multiplying. They're seeing great things done for the cause of Christ. So he, the Bible's telling us this in verse number one, he took action to destroy the church. And here's who he goes for. The Bible tells us he goes for the leaders of the church. He goes straight to the leaders of the church. And how does he go about doing this? Well, look with me if you would at verse number two. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, we know that James of the disciples of the Lord Jesus. So we've got James and John. There's a title that are given to them. They're called the sons of Zebedee, or we refer to them sometimes as the sons of thunder. And so we've got James and John, two of Jesus' disciples. And the Bible tells us that this Herod kills James, the brother of John, with the sword. So he killed, he killed James. Now, when we read about James becoming a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ, that would be the first apostle who had died for Christ. So all of all the apostles that followed Jesus in his ministry and were able to see the resurrected Savior... He was the first. And I think we understand this. If we studied anything about church history, we know that he will not be the Christ, but James becomes the first. Now, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. I think it would, it would, uh, we, would, we would fail to really see uh, something very special if we didn't go there. Would you look just a moment with me to Mark chapter number 10? Remember, James and John are mentioned here in Acts chapter 12, but I want you to go to Mark chapter 10 for a moment. And in Mark chapter number 10, James and John ask a request of the Lord here during his earthly ministry. Their request is very unique. Jesus gives them an answer, and he gives them that answer by asking them really to, to think about something. I want you to consider something, Jesus says to James and John. So with what we know, of what we read in Acts chapter 12 and verse number 2. Let's read this passage of Scripture here in Mark chapter 10 for a moment. Look at verse 35. Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, 
we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Okay, so we're asking you to grant us a desire. Would you be willing to do this for us? Well, notice what Jesus says in verse 36. And he said unto them, what would ye that I should do for you? Okay, so what is it that you want me to do for you? Verse number 37. They said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. We want to, in your kingdom, in your heavenly kingdom, we want you to grant us, or give us permission that one would sit on your right hand, one would sit on your left hand in glory. Notice what Jesus does in verse number 38. Jesus is asking them to consider the cost of what they are asking. When this question goes forth to Jesus, his reply to that is, hold on. For me to answer your question, first you have to consider the cost. He's, he's saying to him, have you counted the cost? Do you know what's going to be required for you to have this, this, uh, this uh, petition granted to you? Look at what he says in verse 38. But Jesus said unto them, ye know not what ye ask can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now, th verse number 39 causes our mind to go back to Acts chapter number 12. So Jesus asked the question, are you what you are going to have to go through to be able to have this request granted? Have you counted the cost? Have you considered what it's going to cost you even? And notice what Jesus says in verse number 39. And they said unto him, we can. And Jesus said unto them, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. Here's what Jesus says to him. By the way, in the very next verse, he says, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them from whom it is prepared. So he said, it's not mine to grant that, but he said, I am going to let you know that you are going to have to go through some very challenging times. And when we read in Acts chapter number 12, we know that's exactly what takes place as James' life is taken by Herod. Why? Because he's faithful to the Lord. Because he's doing what God would have him to do because of his position of leadership within the church. Herod's takes the life of James. So yes, he is going to have to suffer for Christ. Yes, there will be some times we may have to suffer for Christ. Again, I don't know that it will be to this extent. I don't know that we'll have to decide whether we're going to have to give our life for Christ. I don't know if that time will ever come. But I will say this, because God said it's true in the New Testament of our Bible, there will be some times we may have to suffer some tribulation. We may have to suffer some persecution for serving the Lord. And that's exactly what happened to James. He gave, he gave his own life for serving the Lord as a leader in the church there. So go back to Acts chapter 12, if you would, with me. And I want you to look down at verse number 3. Acts chapter 12 and verse number 3. Here's what's happened so far. The Bible tells us that he has killed James. And then we move on to verse number 3 and notice this. And because he saw it pleased the Jews... Here's what Herod was doing. He was trying to gain favor. He was trying to please the Jews. And so because he saw what he had done to James, please the Jews, he tries to up at a level. And notice what the Bible says in verse number three. He proceeded further to take Peter also. 
Then were the days of unleavened bread. Now picture this now. He's going straight for the church leaders, isn't he? He knows that if I go for the church leaders, that's going to be those that are leading in the church. We're seeing this, this church multiply. We don't want God's blessings on this. We don't want this church to multiply. So I'm going to go straight to the church leaders. He kills James. And then the Bible tells us he proceeds to take Peter. Look at verse number four. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quadrants of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So the Bible tells in verse number four that he arrests Peter. And his desire is that in a few days, he is going to bring Peter before the people and trusting that the decision will be made to take Peter's life as well. Now James will be gone. When, the, when I bring Peter before the people, they'll make a decision to take the life of Peter and Peter will be gone as well. I'm attacking and directly attacking the church leaders. So there's a great persecution that's going on here. Now when he arrests Peter, did you notice that he places Peter in prison and the Bible tells us that he is now surrounded by 16 guards in the prison. I would imagine when we consider that this morning, or when we consider that this evening, I would imagine that he must have known or must have heard of the previous escape of Peter from prison. You may remember back at Acts chapter number 5, there's a story of a husband and their names are Ananias and Sapphira. And remember, the, the early church is coming together to try to meet the needs of others. So they're selling possessions and they're bringing them to the feet of the apostles. Remember, Ananias and Sapphira sold a possession, but they kept back part of it. And they brought it and laid it at the feet of the apostles, telling them that we have brought everything. As a result of their lying, the Bible tells us both of them die that day. Well, the Bible tells us because of that in Acts chapter 5, great fear comes to those that begin to watch what's happening with Ananias and Sapphira. And in the next few verses of chapter number 5, the Bible tells us that miracles start taking place. Not only are great miracles taking place, but the Bible tells us that Peter and the other disciples are being used to see people believing on the Lord. And as a result of that, the apostles are placed in prison. But the Bible tells us that shortly after they're placed in prison, an angel comes. And that angel comes and he opens the prison doors and he brings those prisoners out and they are freed. Can you imagine as Herod thinks in his mind of the time that Peter has escaped before and the Bible tells that he surrounds him with 16 soldiers making sure that Peter cannot escape. Well, again, this morning in Sunday school, we serve a big God, don't we? And a big God is about to work, isn't he? So the second thing I want us to notice this evening is this, and this is the main thought tonight that I really want you to get as a local church tonight. Number one, we see the persecution of the church. And again, that applies to us as well because again, we'll face times of persecution. But the second thing I want you to notice tonight is the prayer of the church. The prayer of the church. Would you look with me, if you would, at verse number five for a moment. It says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. You know, the Bible tells us several things about this, these, this prayer that takes place. Number one, it's made without ceasing, and we're going to get back to that in just a moment. But number two, the Bible says, of the church. So number one, they're doing this continually, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So number one, it's without ceasing. This prayer is going on nonstop. They're praying. But number two, the Bible tells us uh, in, in, in verse number five of the church, meaning the church is having a prayer meeting. 
Here the church has gathered for the purpose of having this prayer meeting for Peter. But then notice another great prayer principle in verse number five, unto God. Who are they praying to? They're praying to God. He's the one we pray to because he's the one that is able to answer the request, right? And so they're praying to him. And by the way, again, remind us of something that sometimes we get stumped with as Christians. Well, if God already knows our needs, then why does he want us to pray? Because he wants to hear us pray, doesn't he? And we'll talk about that in just a minute as well. But it says, unto God, and then notice the last part, for him. So we would define this as an intercessory prayer, wouldn't we? We would say that they are praying on behalf of a need that somebody else has that we just got done on Sunday morning, right? We were talking about the different types of prayer. And one of those types of prayer is an intercessory prayer that we would go on, uh, on behalf of somebody else to God. So if we would start out this chapter, and we read verse 1 through 4 already, and we talked about the persecution of the church, and at the start of this chapter, the situation looks hopeless, doesn't it? Matter of fact, it looks like it's out of control for uh, the individuals of the church there. James has already lost his life. They've got Peter in prison now. And the day is quickly approaching where he's going to be brought before the people and the sentence is going to be made and he's going to die as well. And so the situation seems hopeless. But can I say this? I know you know this thought. I know you've heard it before. But may it really resonate with us tonight and may we apply it to our lives. Prayer changes things, doesn't it? And that's what we're going to get to see tonight. Prayer changes things. And I'll go a step further to say this. Even if you pray and you think your prayer doesn't change your situation exactly the way that you want it to change your situation, even if it doesn't change it the way you want it to, prayer changes you though, doesn't it? That's the good thing. You say, well, I might be praying and you're talking about prayer changing things. Prayer may not always change the situation in a way in which exactly in the way that you want it, but it's to know that prayer changes us when we get a chance to talk to God can I say this about prayer when we pray God steps in I've heard people say it this way before it's one of the greatest ways to define the reason why we pray because when we pray prayer moves the hand of God God wants to hear us pray and as we're praying it moves the hand of God and the church knew that God had the power to help Peter they're praying by faith, knowing that God has the power to do this Prayer is able to change things. Someone once said this about prayer, and you may have perhaps even heard this before. They said, prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but God's will done on earth. It's not about getting man's will done in heaven, but it's about getting God's will done on earth. Let's notice some thoughts about this prayer. The first thing I want us to notice, and I told you we'd come back to this, is this was a continual prayer. It was a continual prayer. Man, you talk about an all-night prayer meeting, right? This has turned into a several-day prayer meeting now. And the Bible tells us it's happening constantly. Let's go back to verse 5 again. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing. Now, we are to pray without ceasing, right? That doesn't mean we're literally praying every moment of the day. But we're always in a spirit of prayer so that when we need to go and pray to the Lord, we can always be able to have access to Him, right? And that's why we got to make sure our fellowship is, is right with the Lord so that we can have access with Him. And so here's the prayer that was a continual prayer. It was a fervent prayer. It wasn't just a casual prayer. It wasn't just a casual prayer time as the church met together. They knew that this was a serious request that they were bringing before the Lord. They weren't casual about it at all. They were fervent in prayer coming before the Lord. And they knew it was serious because they knew what if the leaders are killed? 
What if the church leaders are killed? What are we to do then? These are the leaders God has to direct us in the early church. So we need to get serious about this prayer time. It needs to be a continual one, and we need to be fervent about it. Would you hold your place there in Acts chapter 12, and would you look in Luke chapter 11 for a moment? The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 11, and may this encourage us when it comes to our prayer time here. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 5. The Bible says this, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. All right, so I'm going to this friend at midnight and I'm requesting three loaves from him. Watch the principles here. He says, For a friend of mine is on a journey, in his journey, excuse me, has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. All right, now I can't be bothered with this right now, is the response that he gets. I can't be bothered with this right now. Look at what he says next. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot arise and give thee. Meaning he's saying this, it's not real convenient right now. But notice the response of that friend. I'm sure you've read this before. Look at verse 8. I say unto you, I'm sorry, uh, uh, yes, verse number 8. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Look at verse 9. And I say unto you, here's the Bible principle of prayer. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And he goes on in verse number 11 and following, and you ought to read that later if you have time, uh, verse 11 and following to give us some more prayer principles. Isn't God going to take care of us? Isn't God going to meet our needs? Isn't he going to answer our requests that we bring before him? What's the thought here in Luke chapter number 11? Because of the persistent request, the need is met. And that's the prayer principle there. Because we are persistent in our prayers. And because we are continual in our prayers and we continue asking and we continue seeking and we continue knocking, God is going to be able to answer that request and open that door and meet that need that we have. The prayer was continual. It was fervent. It wasn't casual. It was a serious prayer that they brought before the Lord. Number one, we said it was continual. But here's the encouragement for the church tonight. It was a corporate prayer as well. It was a corporate prayer time. Oh, one of the greatest blessings we have in our church is when we get to have our corporate prayer times. Brother Hummel said, one of the things that we need in our lives to be an overcomer is prayer. And then he went on to make the statement. He said, but sadly, the one service where we concentrate on prayer, which many times is Wednesday night, we refer to that as our prayer and our Bible studies time. He said, sadly, that's the service that we, we neglect and we're not as faithful as we should be. That's to have that corporate prayer time. And there's special times that we get to get together. I love the men's prayer times. Oh, what a blessing those, and sweet time of prayer those men's prayer times are that we have. Ladies, I've never been in one of the ladies' prayer times now, but I've been blessings. Just a sweet time of prayer. When we get together, when we get to get together with one another uh, and, and get to have prayer times like that in, in maybe smaller groups, but then how about a corporate prayer time? When we get to come together as a church family and get to spend some time praying, that's what's happening here. They've all met together as a church. 
And now they're spending time corporately praying. Can I say this uh, by way of a question this evening? Think of what can happen when a church begins to pray. Oh, think of what can happen. Think of the hand of God that can move in great ways. Think about the God of the impossible, that big God that we serve. What he can do when a church begins to pray. A mighty church is a praying church. And oh, may we all be a praying church because we want God to make us into a mighty church. Remember when Jesus put together that, that uh, whip and he, and he drove out the money changers in the temple. You remember that story? Remember the statement that Jesus made and we read it throughout the Gospels. Jesus made the statement. He said, my house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. But he said, you've made it a den of thieves. Listen, this house, the Lord's house, ought to be a house of prayer. But sadly, uh, prayer many times is, 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 is exited from churches. We're not praying like we should. May we be a, a, a church of prayer and a mighty church because we're a praying church. Remember what was said of the early church there in Acts chapter number 2. There were several things they did. The Bible talked about how that they were in, the, in, in doctrine. They were, they were studying from the Bible, preaching. Preaching and teaching God's word. Then it talked about how there was breaking of bread, meaning there was the Lord's table and the Lord's supper services that were taking place, communion that was taking place. Then it talked about how there was fellowship. Man, fellowship is a sweet thing as well. But one of the crucial ingredients in the local church was also prayer. Doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayers. Oh, what a crucial ingredient in the church prayer is. But we want to close with this tonight. What a great blessing we get to see as we close this tonight. Number one, the persecution of the church. Number two, we saw the prayer of the church. But number three, I want you to notice the power of the church. Would you notice with me the power of the church? Look with me back at Acts chapter number 12. If you turn places there, if you can get back to Acts chapter number 12. And look with me, if you would, at verse number six. We're going to start in verse number six. We're going to read a few verses as we finish the message this evening. Acts chapter six and verse number six, the Bible says this. In, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 12 and verse number six. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Now, we're going to notice some things that take place in the next few verses that reveal to us the power of the church. Can I say the power in the local church that we're reading about here in Acts chapter number 12 came about because of the God they served and because of the prayer that they were praying to God. See, prayer is not, or excuse me, a power is not something we boast in and of ourselves about. But we only expect God's power because of the God we serve and because of the fact that we are praying to Him. So they're expecting God to do great things. They're expecting to see God's power because of the one that they are praying to, not boasting in anything they can do themselves, but the power that God can give. So notice verse 6 again, if you would, some truths that we want to pull from here. And when Herod would have brought him forth, notice the next three words, the same night. God is going to respond at the last moment, isn't he? Have you ever found that to be true in your prayer times? You're praying to God, and it just seems like you're waiting and waiting and waiting and hasn't answered. But he always comes through, doesn't he? He always comes through. I love the way Brother Hummel worded it this morning when he said about the challenges he faced yesterday morning. And he said all those devastating challenges he was facing, the problems he was having. And then he made the statement, then God stepped in. Isn't it true for us to remember that here tonight? 
The fact that we can be praying and taking our request to him and we might say, oh, he's not answering. It seems like he's making me wait. But he always finds a way to step in, doesn't he? He always finds a way to come through. And that's exactly what happens here at the last moment. They've been praying for quite a while for him. And this has been a prayer, a prayer that's, that's, that's continued. It's been without ceasing. And at the last moment, that last night, right before he stands before those people and he's going to be a, a, a judged before that crowd and perhaps even put to death, God steps in and notice verse number six, if you would, another great truth here. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping. Peter was sleeping. Now, I don't know about you, but that stands out to me because here's a man sleeping that knows that he's in imminent danger. I mean, he knows that tomorrow morning he's before the people and probably the outcome is that he's going to have to give his life. He knows already that James has given his life and he knows the danger is imminent. He's in the midst of imminent danger, but he's trusting in God. And isn't it great to know that we can be at rest and we can be at peace and we can be secure and we can be calm when we're trusting God, right? I want to read a verse to you. You'll stay there in Acts chapter number 12 because I'll be quick. But uh, Psalm uh, 4 and verse number 8. Would you listen to this verse tonight? Psalm 4 and verse number 8, the Bible says this. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Oh, we serve a God who's able to help us, right? He's able to give us the comfort and the rest and the security and the calmness that we need, even in the midst of imminent danger because we're trusting in Him. Would you look at verse number 7 in Acts chapter 12, verse number 7? The Bible says this, now let's see the narrative of what happens here in verse number 7. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. He's at a point here where he thinks he's seeing a vision. This cannot be true. This is a dream of some sort. There's no way I've been freed and rescued from this. Look at verse number, uh, verse number 10. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. Verse 11, And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord had sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the ex uh, expectation of the people of the Jews. Now would you notice verse number 12. In verse number 12, he arrives at the prayer meeting. This prayer meeting's taken place. It's without ceasing. It's been a continual one. It's been a first, it's been a corporate prayer time. And he arrives at the prayer meeting. Look at verse number 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now, would you notice verse number 13? Sadly, Peter is met with doubters, isn't he? Now, again, here's this group. They're asking God on behalf of Peter. Now, again, they're about, we're about to run out of time here. Uh, Peter's about to go they're going to judge Peter and probably put him to death time is running short here and the Bible says in verse number 13 and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda 
And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. I love this story. I love it. Here's this damsel named Rhoda. She's so excited about the fact that I'm laying my eyes on Peter's face. We've been praying for you in here. And she doesn't even open the door. She runs with gladness and she tells them what, what, what has happened in Peter at the door. Look at verse number 14 if you would. I'm sorry, verse number 15. And they said unto her, thou art mad. Peter's met with a bunch of doubters, isn't he? Man, we've been praying, but now we're looking at Rhoda saying, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're a little crazy here. Come on. There's no way Peter's standing at the door. Look at it, it says verse 15, thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. Can you almost see him outside? Man, he's still knocking. Rhoda's come to the door. She's noticed it's him. She's run away without opening the door. He's still knocking there inside. He's met with a bunch of doubts here, what God was able to do. Verse 16, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were surprised in the fact that the prayers were answered. We're astonished at what God has done. You know, we should have faith to ask God. And then we should get to a place where we have faith that he can answer. But can I go a step further? If we have faith to ask God, and we have faith to believe that God can answer our prayers, let's not be caught off guard when he actually does it. Let's have faith enough to believe that when I'm taking this request of the Lord, he can answer. So knowing that God loves us, here's the challenge for the church tonight. Knowing that God loves us gives us confidence to boldly approach him with our needs, doesn't it? See, I know God loves me. And because I know God loves me, it gives me the confidence to not only approach God with my needs, but to boldly approach him with my needs. What does the Bible say in the book of Hebrews? That we are to come to the throne of grace. But how are we to come to the throne of grace? Come boldly under the throne of grace. That we may obtain grace to help in time of need. We're to come boldly. So if we know God loves us, and we know that He desires to answer our prayers, and it gives us the confidence to boldly approach Him in prayer, and then we've got to go a step further. We've got to expect Him to work on our behalf. See, they were astonished at the fact that God had answered that prayer. Let's expect God to work on our behalf. Someone once said this about prayer. It applies so well to the church tonight and the application for us this evening. They said this, this sin-hungry world needs a prayer-hungry church. Hey, we're living in a... But the sin-hungry world all around us needs a prayer-hungry church. We need to be a, a church that prays. And when God, uh, when God hears the prayers of His church, the power that comes as a result of it. That's what we saw tonight. The church is persecuted. But then the church begins to pray. And then we see the power of the church as the result of the prayer that they pray to God. May we be a praying church. And may we expect God to move in a mighty way because we are a praying church. Hey, make sure you're here when we talk about special prayer meetings we're having. In months to come, down the road. It's already on the schedule. In months down the road, uh, we're, we're going to have some special 
specific prayer meetings. God has put on my heart about a special specific prayer meeting I'd like us to have as a church for when we start our Bible clubs. And God has put a specific desire upon my heart for some special prayer meetings we're going to have when our revival approaches at the end of the year in the month of November. Some special times you're going to get to hear the announcements. Would you be here? to be able to take advantage of those prayer times so that we as a church can corporately spend some time praying and asking God, men, let's be at the men's prayer breakfast. Ladies, let's be at the ladies' prayer time. Church, let's be at the Wednesday night service when we have opportunity to corporately pray together and bring our requests and our needs to one another. Those are special times, aren't they? And a praying church ends up being a mighty church. Because of something we do? No, no, because of something God does. And so let's be a praying church. Father, I pray that you bless this message, Lord, that was given tonight, chapter number 12. And Lord, I pray that we've had ears to listen. And then as you've spoken to our hearts, Lord, we would now have hearts to respond.